Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. A three, a two, a one, go. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives, and this is the Knife Perspective number 0070. That would be Rorman, not Horman. How you doing tonight, <laughs> Kyle? <laughs> pretty good. Glad I'm in this week. Uh, the week started off pretty good, so last week I was not feeling good and feeling like yeah, you weren't looking good either, whole- dude the whole week and this week i started off really well uh got to do a woodworking project with the boy we built this little uh penny flicker game thing that uh my dad used to make them when he taught shop class in se- her seventh grade he was in seventh grade for 30 something years as a teacher wow. but he he would oh as a teacher okay that makes more sense yeah he Dude, would uh, like how many times does it take yeah, that was one of their their class projects, and I made one this past weekend with Aaron, and yeah, we had a lot of fun uh, using the table saw and the drill press, and um, yeah, he was he was all super excited. I'm glad to share some of my love of making stuff with him. Those those videos were kind of awesome. It reminds me of the boys back when, like, I wasn't an idiot, um, <laughs> and they liked to spend time with me. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved the the genuineness of the the chaos ensuing, and then okay, dangerous tool. Oh no, we're back to chaos now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was part of the reason why I wanted or I pushed so hard to get a saw stop for, uh, especially when the boys wanted to start start doing some of the the cutting and stuff themselves. It, so that makes a lot more sense. On top of it being a good saw, it has the added security feet or the added safety feature stuff. So, uh, look at me. I have all 10 fingers. Uh. <laughs> I want to try to keep them. But nothing but. makes memories like cutting your fingers off in front of your kids. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, how are you doing, Dan? I'm good. I, it's been nuts, but uh, but I'm doing well. How's the how's the chicken wing? Um, I am almost able to start grinding knives. Awesome. Matter of fact, um, the grinding wasn't going too badly. I had a couple of, uh, I had a couple almost finished. They were sitting there on the bench. They were making fun of me. Like, man, if you'd heard the way they were talking to you, you would have wanted me to take care of them too. Okay. Um, and it was just some hand sanding, you know, nothing crazy. A little S35VN, just some, some light hand sanding, just, you know. Just some friends hanging out, doing a little sanding. Yeah, apparently I set myself back about three weeks. And uh, it, it turns out the the shocker, hand sanding is bad for us and we shouldn't be doing it. I concur. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, I'm really, really hopeful. I see the PT tomorrow and I am hoping to, to be back in and being a little productive again. Good. I can honestly sh- say the shop has never been this clean before. Like, never. Nice. 
Every bearing is greased. Every corner has been swept and vacuumed. Like it, it's, it's a little creepy at this point. Yeah. Nice. So I, I'm ready to start making a mess. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> you want to mention some of our sponsors? I do. And not just because they pay our bills, but because I genuinely like them. Yeah. Like to shout out uh, our, our sponsor and one of our dealers, Old Town Cutlery. Uh, Lee's doing a great job down there. He sent me a couple pieces of uh, some stabilized wood. He did a, uh, he called it a blackened pecan. And uh, that, that set of scales really? look really cool. Yeah. It was, uh, really? He sent you some, huh? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to run right out to the mailbox. Uh, <laughs> mine must have got hung up. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, call Lee. <laughs> but yeah, the he sells a lot of handle material and stuff. But yeah, they, they had the pecan wood and stabilized, and then they kind of torched it a little bit and uh, kind of gives it a, a blackish, or I, I think they torched it before they sent it there uh, to get stabilized. But it looks really cool. I'm excited to do uh, do a knife with it. And then he's been doing some of these Lego scale uh, sets where they've been pouring resin in over Legos. That's been kind of cool uh, seeing some of those. So I think I'm going to give one of those a shot. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. Although as excruciatingly painful as Legos are on my feet, you know, they're either going to be super grippy or it's going to be a knife you can never pick up. <laughs> well, with it all, with the resin all in there, it should be nice and smooth. So, oh, okay. That's why you're the engineer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can use uh, discount code KP10 at Old Town and get 10% <laughs> off your order. Buy some of your stuff there. They're a Starbond dealer. They're a West System dealer. Definitely check them out and get some good shop supplies and stuff from them too and on top of all the the knives and stuff and the best uh kitchen cutlery you can buy cage daily knives and dogwood custom knives truly the pinnacle of all things edged pointy in kitchen <laughs> uh and i i get to talk about atlas materials because i have been loving me there juma <laughs> that's right i made notes i got it right this time <laughs> they're juma scales the dragon pattern have, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think the longest any knife I've had on the market with those scales on it has been like four days. Hmm. People are loving it. And at first it was this whole Game of Thrones like dragon thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what's picked it up now, but I mean, it's vivid, it's clear. And it, I mean, no, I can literally notice that that stuff is selling quicker than anything else right now. Nice. The one you sent to Korea made it there or have you heard yet? Oh yeah. And actually, so make out of it what you will, but I sent that one out uh, just before Christmas and I've had five orders um, from Korea since then. Wow. Um, yeah. They, they're loving it and they do some other cool stuff at Atlas, you know, the crazy fiber, uh, especially if you want bulk micarta, if you want any micarta, they've got it. But the that and Juma G10. stuff is, yeah. Uh, and the is it Sure Touch? They changed the name. It used to be Ultrax. I think it's Sure Touch now. It's the rubber G10 laminate. I'm not sure. Um, the guys in the kitchens have really loved that. It's a little. I mean, it's two tone. It's black and red. Like it doesn't have the pop of some of their exotic stuffs, but it is super grippy. So I was selling a lot of it for uh, guys down on the coast for fillet knives and kitchen guys. Cool. Yeah. And then we've got Phoenix Abrasives. They uh, 
carry all sorts of belts that you could possibly want. Uh, Dan and I love the Broadback Incinerator belts that they carry, the 36 grit, and uh, there's some rumors that uh, they're going to have that in a higher grit. Not exactly sure what that grit is, but I've heard that they are trying to make it in more grit. So I'd love it in some 60 and some 80 grit if anybody's listening. <laughs> yeah. I'd like it in 120 also. But yeah, the we we also Dan and I both love the purple ceramic belts for your hardened uh steel for kitchen knives. So they've got that, everything uh, yeah. and they're gonna be carrying some sanding sticks here soon. So sanding buddies? Yeah. At our buddies, Phoenix Abrasives. Yep. Sanding buddies, sanding sticks. So uh definitely check them out and you can use discount code kp10 to get 10 percent of your off your order there uh they also have uh they're gonna be putting a lot more of the rhino wet products their whole product line up on their website it's something that they carry but apparently it's more of the automotive industry that they've been selling it to and they're redoing the whole website and getting a bunch of that stuff done greg said he did a ton of work on the website while they were snowed in they got like 27 inches or something a week ago or something like that. So that stuff ain't right. Yeah. Uh, the snow, not the website. <laughs> um, and as we all know, I have thoroughly drank the Kool-Aid on getting shop rolls uh, of like the one and a half inch width for hand sanding. That thing you invented. Yeah, I totally invented it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has been, um, it's been great. The wastage has been good, but really it's just been a convenience thing. I, I've got my, the rolls of my grits up there. I just reach up. I tear down a little bit. The cloth backing has been great because I can, especially when I'm doing my tight radiuses, like I can wrap it around a, a quarter inch dowel while I'm working like the tight radiuses around finger grooves mm -hmm. and the paper doesn't crack or pop. Um, I'm hoping it's going to be on this new website that we've all heard about, but if it's not, Email them, and they will send it out to you. Be sure to mention my name just so they know that uh, I, I'm the one that's being such a pain in the <laughs> I'm sorry, Kyle. Thanks, Dan. I, I'm really trying to keep this G for you, brother. I, I had no idea how much editing you had to do because of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then our last sponsor... Uh... Last but not least, Chance Knife Supply. They have uh, all sorts of knife making supplies that you could ever want. Uh, handle materials, you can use discount code KP Grip for that. Dan f found out that you need to just have handle material in there for the, the code to work, I think it was. Yeah. So be it careful with that, guys. And uh, I have heard that if you call them up, uh, they can uh, get that applied uh to your order also so um that's cool yeah and it gives you the excuse to talk to some really nice people yeah not be so antisocial all the time no kidding man <laughs> just because you work alone in a shop where you can't talk to other people doesn't mean that you won't benefit from a little human interaction you know what set down the blades put the sandpaper aside take a few minutes interact with a human being you'll be better for it yeah I miss it. Like, uh, Oh, not me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I miss having like a core core group of people getting to talk to them every day. So, um, and then I'm, the last, 
sponsors uh, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can find Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives, like we mentioned earlier, at Old Town Cutlery and Knife Center. And you can find Dogwood Custom Knives at the Cook Station and Blade HQ. And you can find Cage Daily Knives at Northside Cutlery. Uh, tell Kevin that needs to get those knives up on the website. I heard he's uh, expanding the website and starting to get some of his stuff up there. So, yeah, glad to see them expanding and growing and everything, too. So thank you to those guys. This show, you want to do Blade Show Texas? Yeah, because, you know. This show should be going up on the 15th, so uh, you got two days to make it to Texas. <laughs> so get a Gatorade. You're going to need it. Some snacks, maybe some Slim Jim, a um, couple of Red Bulls. Hop your backside into whatever motor vehicle you have and head I'm going to assume you're going to have to head generally south, southwest. But get yourself to Fort Worth, Texas, and be there by March 17th. Uh, That's going to be Blade Show, Texas. I was trying really hard to be down there as a, uh, not as a vendor, but I was going to take the chance to be able to, to walk around and be the annoying guy that puts thumbprints all over people's knives and ask random questions and then walk away. Is this sharp? Yeah. What, what uh, hard one of my this? favorite. <laughs> Will it hold an edge? <laughs> Is it good for this random task? <laughs> How many bodies could I cut through with this? Uh, three. Three is the general <laughs> answer. I uh, mean, for I, just a basic quality blade. I thought it was 42. 42? Oh, no. That's for the Premier line. Oh, okay. But but you're going to need a, a like a big LTD like Cadillac to fit all the parts in the trunk. <laughs> nice yeah so blade texas is going to be in fort worth texas march 17th to the 18th uh i won't be there kyle won't be there but our good friend frank grissom will find him shake his hand buy him a beer it's good for you it's good for me it's good for the show yeah and alicia will be there making sure everything goes smoothly yeah stay away from her like when 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 it is show days okay i'm not gonna lie man I have faced down like raving voodoo priests with machetes, um, angry lieutenants with a compass. Nothing frightens me more than Alicia on like show day. Huh. The day before, she is an absolute sweetheart and an angel. The day after, she is the finest person in the world. But don't you mess with her day on, on show day. Just take it from your old Uncle Dan. <laughs> Gotcha. Uh, and then we'll have the Badger Knife Show March 24th to 26th in Janesville, Wisconsin. A bunch of the Midwest Knife Makers Guild will be there. Uh, it's always a great show. It's not an extremely big show, but there's a lot of great people there and a it's lot of great not people all to talk size. to. Yeah. And uh, you got a Knife Makers Guild meeting coming up. We do. Uh, we being the South Carolina Custom Knife Makers Guild, and just to be clear, you don't have to be from South Carolina. Everyone's welcome, and for the low, low price of forty dollars a month or year, forty dollars a year, <laughs> uh, you too can be a member. Uh, this uh, this season's meeting is going to be at in St. Matthews, South Carolina, outside of Columbia. Um, love to see y'all. Come on down, say hey, learn a few things. And, you know, it's, 
Y'all hear it a lot, but I'm going to reach out one more time. If you are in the South Carolina area and you got a shop and you'd like to meet some really awesome people, please reach out to me. We're looking for some other people to host. Um, guys are getting kind of tired of seeing my shop and John's shop. Uh, we will help with cost. We will help with setup. Um, but if you will please reach out to the guild, we're looking for some other people to host. And part of the reason for that is I learn something every time I go into somebody's shop. And we're really trying to move this around to some other people's shops. Because, like I said, you're going to learn, no matter what your shop is, no matter how simple it is, whatever you think, there is something that in your shop that we could learn from. So give us that opportunity and, and let us help you out. Yeah. Uh, then shout outs. Uh, I wanted to do a shout out to Blade Magazine. Where to put it? Um, <clears throat> they did a article in here. Uh, there's a couple of them. So one of the friend of the show, Jason Fry, he wrote a thing on how to build a black or a backyard power hammer. And then there's another article in here where Pat Covert interviewed Ernie Emerson and RJ Martin with their wow. equipment in the shop. Uh, it's a great article. Uh, it was really awesome to hear some about RJ talking about his CNC, Sophia, and some of the the jigs and stuff Ernie Emerson did and made. So uh, as well with some of their equipment and some pictures of their shop. So I really enjoyed it and think uh, you guys might too. So uh, pick up that one. It's the February, 2023 uh, show or uh, magazine. And then also uh, I will be doing the file work class again at blade show and the tickets just went on sale. So uh, sold out fast the last two years I've done it. So uh, try to get those in if you want to learn some about how I do my file work patterns at Blade Show this year. And I'm actually going to be at the class this time. Uh, Chef Craig is going to come down and help me work the booth. Awesome. So I'll have somebody to kind of to watch over things so I can sneak out and, and get the class. Very cool. Yeah, I, we need I'm to get you excited. doing some file work. We do. <laughs> um, I mean, it it is time for me to take my knives to 11. Like I've been right there at like nine and three quarters, 10 and one eighth. It, it, it's time for me to step it up. Yeah. We need to get, uh, we need to get working on that, uh, blade show collaboration too. We do. I've got a couple of, uh, you've got some very cool knife perspective handle material. I've got a couple of pieces. Uh, we need to kind of put that together. I don't have it yet. You don't. No. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, man. Yeah. You know, we may skip Dan's rant for this because <laughs> um, I have absolutely been behind because his materials are phenomenal. Um, they're as good as the mental codes. Um, I really, early on, I've pushed them and I absolutely stand behind the quality with the, the Mad Max, um, my Cardas. Mm. Everybody else, for what it's worth, I haven't gotten my order yet either. Um you know, I, I I put my name behind them. I I, I owe y'all a little bit of a, a mea copa. I absolutely stand behind his quality. I've bought some pieces. Every piece I've worked has worked well. The images have been crisp and clean. No voids. Great density. I I'm going to be a little arrogant, and I'm going to go ahead and assume that when the show got behind him, 
uh, things blew up and it was just more than a, a one man shop was prepared for. Uh, my recommendation right now is any spec materials that come out, buy them because they are phenomenal. If you are like us and you've got some custom orders and you're waiting on them, I apologize. As a maker that has struggled with with getting things out on time, I've got a little bit of sympathy. But to you consumers, especially guys that are, are trying to get knives out, I, I apologize. Yeah. All I can say is the quality is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I apologize that, that things aren't getting out as quickly as they should. Yeah. I think that's the most time I've ever heard you say apologize. Yeah, well, I, I think that's the fourth time in my life I've ever said it. So <laughs> nice. I was making up. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. And we also have the Badger Knife Show, March 24th through the 26th in Janesville, Wisconsin. I forgot to mention this during the podcast, so hopefully this sounds okay. And uh, you can see all of our wonderful Knife Makers Guild members. I know uh Corey Martin's going to be there taking some photos. Peter Martin's going to be there with some awesome knives. Jess Hoffman, Clarence Day Young, uh, Frank Grissom, uh, a whole bunch of guys that I'm forgetting. And uh, come check them out at the Badger Knife Show, uh, March 24th through the 26th. So, you ready to inter- introduce our guest, or you got, got any more rant brewing? No, no. I mean, uh, I've got some rant. <laughs> Man, dude. Tune in next time because, like, like some rage, some vitriol, completely just got sidetracked by me having to say that thing where you're. It, it, it's like that you're right, but you're not entirely right. Mm. I, I don't know. I can't remember the word, but yeah, I had to deal with it. <laughs> um, and this is one of those other situations. I thought you were doing the intro. I can do the intro. You let's see what you got. Yeah, we've got uh, Patrick Orman of MT Knives on the podcast today. Patrick and I met each other the first time in 2018 uh, face-to-face. We've known each other for a while. We've talked on Instagram and stuff. I learned to Patrick the first time listening to the Survival Podcast uh, when he was doing his stakeholder program and uh, have just loved a bunch of his work and doing some great things. So welcome to the show, Patrick. Hey, Kyle. Great to be here. And Dan. Yeah. The uh, the beard, the infamous beard. One of the questions we like to start the show with is, where did you grow up, Patrick? I grew up in central Kansas, middle of Oz. Not nice. a whole lot there. I'm in now. Now, I got out of Kansas, so that's good. <laughs> and what was the first knife you had growing up? Man, I don't Do even remember? know. I don't. You know, I think everybody had one of those uh, survival type knives. You know, the mm-hmm. one with the compass and the hollow oh, handle, the on Rambo. Oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the sharpening stone. That was, you know, I mean, so I can say I've been sharpening since I was a little kid. I had a little. Mm-hmm. Were you a kid of the eighties if you didn't have one? It. You had to because the steel was so uh, soft. <laughs> 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 So I said, I don't, I don't really know like if that was my first knife, but that's probably the first one I really remember that and the Gensu knives. Remember the Gensu knives? Mm-hmm. Oh, Cause you never know when you're going to need to cut a, a nail, a beer can, and then slice a tomato. 
But that happens more often than you think. We still have some Miracle Blade uh, steak knives in the drawer that uh, get used for every BS task. <laughs> Getting stuff out of the grout. Yeah. <laughs> Any era, I give those to all the, the people that aren't knife people when they come over for a barbecue. All the people that you know are going to drag the edge across the bottom of the plate. They yeah. they get the uh, the miracle knife. Uh-huh. It's not actually too bad. I've uh, like for what they are for like five dollars. I mean, they've st- actually stayed somewhat sharp for. I've had them for probably twenty years now. Six so. out of now seven London street kids say that they are the preferred knife for shankings. <laughs> Now I know. I thought it was odd that Kyle gave me that knife when I came over to use. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Did it have the cork at the end? No. No. no I think the tip broke actually, off on the one. Yeah. I think I might actually have one that has a fork on the end. One of those tomato knives. Uh, um, okay. Now for the really important question. The question everybody tunes in for. How'd you meet your night wife? And where does that fall on the Kyle Dan scale? You're going to love this. I met, I met my wife at a... I feel some Dan energy coming on. Bible study. Oh, yep. Don't, it's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. You know, some people find their wife at somebody's wake and other people find them when they're, you know, for God. I don't know. (laughs) Were you there to corrupt young minds? (laughs) Some, some people probably thought so. (laughs) Okay. There's, there's hope. There's hope. We, we, we could call this 50, 50. Yeah. So how'd you ask her to marry you? That's, that's usually a good one. Marry me. (laughs) (laughs) No. Well, uh, I mean, I just told her, look, we're getting hitched next week, so you best yeah. go get yourself one of them rather pretty dresses. Dude, it was pretty quick. We we went from, uh, went from, yeah, it it was, uh, it was pretty quick. We didn't date long. We we dated for a week or two, then we were getting married, so. Wow. Yeah. That is pretty quick. That's kind yeah. of Dan-esque. Yeah. No, no. It, it, <laughs> I jump into it's very questionable out. decisions myself. Yeah, because yeah, you said I think it's been or, 20, 23 years or 20, 20 some. I don't know. It's over 20 years. And you've got like yeah. over 10 kids, right? Just 10. Only Just 10. 10. Just 10? All right. Two and so, a half dozen. So I, <laughs> I, don't half know, dozen. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, there's this thing called a condom. <laughs> and it will even it'll fit any size as big or as small as you might have. They come in custom sizes now. <laughs> Boy, this show just went downhill quick, Kyle. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought we'd met. My name's Dan. That's what I do. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So the questions you get when, you know, you have a lot of kids is, are you Catholic? No. And uh, what's the other one? Do you have a TV? Yes. Yeah. We have a TV that distracts the kids. <laughs> so you can make more kids. We're bad Baptists. Gotcha. Baptists only have two kids. Maybe Dan and I are Baptists. <laughs> I mean, I'm down for some foot washing. 
<laughs> All right. Um, and just like that, how we go to hell. <laughs> so, uh, what what was your first, what was your first job starting out of out? Because I think, or you were an electrician, or was that your not your first job? My first job was washing yeah. dishes, little Mexican Washington. restaurant. Nice. What's your favorite Mexican uh, dish? What What do you like to? What's uh, your favorite? Uh, if you're going to a Mexican restaurant, what do you get? It depends which one. You know, I like real Mexican tacos. Yeah. are hard to beat. What region are we? Are we talking like Northern Mexico, Mexico City? I mean, Kyle, you got to be clear on these things. Yeah. I, I like some barbacoa, some fish tacos, chimichangas. I like a lot of things Mexican. Yeah. Yeah, my, my wife always loves the, uh, oh, the, what's the one word with like pineapple and uh, I think it's pork. Man, people are probably screaming in their, their Carnita. Not carnitas, the... Yeah, I'll think of it later. That's a pizza, I think. I think it's called a pepperoni, or what is that? Hawaii. Right, we're done. No. Hey, sorry, uh, bad connection. Uh, he said pineapple this, and pork. This is why Kyle so is I not allowed pizza. Yes, he's there in Chicago. No telling what they got on pizzas there. Uh, Al Pass, Al store. But it's thick, whatever it is. Um, oh, actually, no, that's that's a strong choice, especially because it usually comes with that little sauce. Yeah. Not like, yeah, the the thin like au jus. No, that's different. That that's a different one. That's berea. Uh, you're Your barbacoa right. taco or berea. Berea is different than barbacoa. Yeah, berea they they almost do it more like a uh, almost like a quesadilla, and then you dip it in this like soup that's looking right. thing. But yeah, Al Pastor's a- pork and. They they uh, stack it up almost like a gyro, and then roast it spinning, and then they slice it off there. I'm I'm old school. I like like my tongue, my cheek, carne asada. Tripe is surprisingly good. Like he was better before I knew what it was. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. Get those that. if those options aren't on the menu, you're not even at a Mexican restaurant, are you? No, 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 no. You're at Becky's place. Yeah. I think I, or one of the things things I always like is fajitas. Uh, Always like that quite a bit. I never get fajitas. I I just like the table. No? I gotta be honest. I just like the, like the table side presentation. Spitting and the the, the sputtering and the, like the, the flaming hot metal plate that they just set down. And then, oh, by the way, don't touch it. Touch what? <laughs> ah! <laughs> well, why did you put it in front of me then? <laughs> so what? You, I would what you order doing? fajitas, but there's just yeah. too much like peppers and onions and stuff. Like, uh, not enough meat. If they made fajitas with just meat and a little bit of onions and peppers, like, yeah, you can ask. So for you're that. all about the meat. You just say something in Spanish, and they make whatever you want. Like Jim Gaffigan says, it's all tortilla, meat, cheese, and vegetables. Yeah, I mean, you just look them dead in the eye and you say, fill my mouth with meat, and they will bring you what you want. <laughs> oh, so many ways to go with that. <laughs> so 
So, so after washing dishes, what'd you do? Climbed grain elevators. I welded on grain elevators. Okay. Kyle, you're starting, you're starting at the wrong spot. I had a different (laughs) job, like every three months for a while. Okay. I've I've done a lot of different things. Kyle, there's a reason in the show notes when I've written them, it says, how did you get started in the industry? Referring to knives. Yeah. It's like this dude probably started working when he was 10. Yeah. Like if he was washing dishes, that was probably eight and a half. So let's jump forward to how'd you get started in the knife industry? Well, that wasn't until more recently, Five. right? The knife industry stuff? Yeah, I started uh it been twelve, fourteen years ago. I don't know. Wow, that Something is like recent. that. Yeah. I know. Did the yeah, sarcastic hand gesture, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. So, yeah, I've done a lot of different jobs, um, cutting meat, framing, just about everything, construction. Then I got into line work. I worked on power lines for, that was the longest stint, about seven or eight years before so I got you, into knife making. Electricity is dark magic. Yeah, how'd you get into big, line work? Went to school for it. <clears throat> so I was a friend of mine. uh I went to church with, uh, you know, I was climbing grain elevators, working a hundred some feet in the air and, you know, not making a ton of money. He's like, man, you ought to go to school and be a lineman. And at the time I, had like, a, hey, I, think I just had, I want to climb up really high and I want some crazy voodoo magic shit that we don't really understand. I want to take a chance on it killing me. That's what yeah. I want to do. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was like, so I'd already started having kids, right? I had like one child and I was like, no, nah, I can't go to school. I got a child, you know? So instead, like three, three years, four years later, I went to school with, uh, I think three children at the time. So went to Votech. Uh, it's a, it's well, and part of the problem is too, like back then, and it's probably still this way now you had to put in to go to school. And then it was like a two year waiting list before you got into school. So I put in two years came up. I went to school. You do, uh, you do from January to whenever you do the spring semester and then you intern over the summer and then you come back and you finish up and graduate in December. So, you know, a year and they're like, okay, you can play with electricity now. So I put in, put out applications all over and, um, got accepted to a job here in Missouri and uh, moved to Missouri and been here ever since. So were you doing high tension or no, just distribution. Uh, just, I didn't do any of the like high voltage stuff. Although I'll tell you what, I would have loved to get got into the, the bare hand type work where they <laughs> drop you off on a helicopter and you crawl out there and you're energized at 130,000 volts or whatever, whatever, 235, have, whatever the voltage is. You can have all of my, but yeah, all of my share of that. Yeah. If there's two, if there's one thing that's more frightening to me than uh, heights, it's voltage. Yeah. There's a good video. Yeah. Every so often I've, see a video and I send it to Patrick with like a guy like shimmying some line so many hundred feet in the air and he's like just like 
starts whipping all these things around. I'm like, he's definitely not attached to anything. Easily fall off right now. So. Well, I got into line work back before, you know, like back in the good old days where you could, we didn't, you didn't climb a pole attached to the pole. You free climbed it. And then you, the belt was only to position yourself and work when you got up top, you know, like nowadays everybody has to be tied in and fall restraint. And, you know, we, I burned a pole a time or two. You, you learn, <laughs> you know, in fact, you, I was an apprentice. Sorry, you climbing with you hear the trade noise. <laughs> yeah. Gaffs. They're called gaffs, yep. but Sorry. yeah. Uh, spikes. So when, uh, when I was an apprentice, I climbed up maybe 20, 25 feet and, uh, told my foreman, I'm like, Hey, watch this. And I dropped out and dropped down, you know, 10 or so feet and stuck back into the pole. He did yeah. not find it. He did not find it impressive at all. He kind of got upset. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed the, the climbing and enjoyed that type of work but it was it, it's dangerous work and the a lot of a lot of my choosing to be a lineman part of it was i was welding and i have asthma and breathing in all those fumes welding's not good on your lungs so i decided to take up knife making <laughs> because you know why do fumes when you can do fine particulates yeah. Did you know that they can clean out your lungs? Really? Yeah. So WC Davis, Bill Davis, uh, I worked with him a little bit. He kind of mentored me and he had to do something. He went in and that guy, he never used any kind of dust collection, respirator, nothing. He would, I couldn't breathe in his shop. And he was telling me they went in and cleaned out his lungs. And while he was awake, like they went down one side and like irrigated it. And they said his lungs were full of metal. Who would have thunk it? With the whole like heart lung machine, like they can put you under and all of your vital functions, they can have a machine do that. And it seemed to me that they could just run a tube down there, cycle some water through, suck it back. Well, not water, liquid of some form, float all that shit up, suck it out. Let you start breathing again. Like that should totally be a thing. Like, go in, change the oil, get the prostate checked, flush out the lungs, do a colonoscopy all at the same time. Yeah, I mean that should be part of a regular scheduled maintenance. Yeah. So, uh, at what point in the line work did you start making knives? I got into sharpening first, and okay. I just one day. You know, I, I don't remember, I, I'm not like, I'm not real good at times and dates, but, you know, I started listening to a podcast and I'm sure, you know, we talked about it and the survival podcast. And I don't remember time frame when all this happened, but at one point I was just like, you know, we have the internet and I had attempted sharpening knives when I was younger and failed. And I was like, I want to learn how to sharpen knives. And so I just started Googling, you know, and watching and learning everything I could about sharpening knives. I stumbled upon 
Murray Carter. And I learned how to sharpen knives primarily from like his video. <clears throat> and then uh, I actually told my wife, I was like, hey, you know, he's got these classes. He was just starting to do these classes. I'm like, I think I'm, I think I want to go learn how to make knives. And my wife, you know, super supportive. She was just like, well, do it. You know, she's like, we've got this $2 million. We've only wanted one. Go, go be a knife maker. (laughs) Yeah. No, like really, like it was, we didn't have the money to do it. Like I used my tax return and, uh, you know, I was going to go take a three-day course, and he talked me into a five-day course. And uh, so I, I signed up, flew to Oregon, learned, made three knives. You know, before before all that, you know, like watching his videos, I had learned to sharpen pretty good. And I went and met him. Uh, he was down in Oklahoma, went and met him. And then that spring, I flew to Oregon made three knives and then I came home. I bought, uh, I bought the basics. You know, I bought, I built my own forge cause I knew how to weld. I just got some scrap steel and welded up a forge like Murray's got some fire bricks, bought a really nice anvil back when you could buy an anvil for 350 bucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've got a, Oh, you can get a 10 pound anvil for that. <laughs> I've got a, I got I got about a three hundred and forty pound anvil. I think it was like three hundred and fifty bucks when I bought it. Oh, nice one. If I didn't like you before, I definitely hate you now. <laughs> so I put it up for sale a couple of years ago, and uh, I put it up for like three thousand. And I had some people offer me like twenty five. I don't know twenty five hundred, two thousand dollars, and I was like, nah. I'm kind of glad now that it never sold because I didn't really want to sell it, but you know, the anvil prices were where they were. I was like, hmm. You, you had to, you had to convince your wife that you actually tried. <laughs> yeah. No, I was. So, so yeah, I, I flew to Oregon, came home. I bought the anvil. I bought uh, a bandsaw, a drill press, a chop saw, and a four by 36 or a four by four by 36 with a disc, you know, all Porter mm-hmm. cable, Porter cable, bandsaw, drill press, and then the four by 36 grinder. And I started making knives with just those tools. Yeah. Cutting knives out on chop saws, shoving my fingers into the blade. As one sketchy. does. Yeah. And a, yeah. a four yeah. and a half inch angle grinder, I'm sure too. No. Never used nope. an angle grinder. Oh. Nope. I'm surprised being a welder, those, that's like uh, usually tool number one on a lot of welders, tool belts. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to think, did I even have a four-inch angle grinder then? Surely I did, but, you know, I don't use a four-inch. I don't use an angle grinder a whole lot. I tell you, I see all those people. You see those discs explode. Mm-hmm. Especially the super thin ones. That's why I put a saw blade on mine. <laughs> have you seen they have discs that actually have like chain or uh, like the the chain from a chainsaw around the edge, so you can like carve out bowls and stuff. Like, I, 
I have used one of those on uh, my uh, my weed eater. Really phenomenal for clearing brush, man. Hmm. Sorry, I digress. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good uh, good plan, there, Dano. <laughs> Three toed Dan. You know it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, good decisions do not make good stories. Is that why your foot's so short? <laughs> Only the left one. <laughs> uh, so you you started getting uh, some of the equipment together, and when did? Because you met up with uh, Jack of the Survival Podcast, who's the the host. Um, yeah. When did? Then where did that kind of fit in? Did you kind of get mixed up with him, talking with him, and becoming good friends with him? So I was listening to his podcast every day and he, one of his sponsors of his shows was knifekits.com. And I believe it still is. Know, he talked about, I think there's still a sponsor. Probably, yeah, right? it probably is. I think so. <laughs> I don't listen anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Now that I work for myself, I don't listen to podcasts hardly ever, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. When I was on the, you know, when I was on the road working all the time, I'd listen to podcasts now. Now, I don't listen to him as often, um, but there's really nothing worth listening to anymore. Everybody's got a podcast nowadays. <laughs> I mean, hell, you're even on one. Except for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. So, um, so I was listening to his podcast and knifekits.com was his sponsor. And he said, you know, he always wanted to get a, a mammoth test knife. And. So I told my wife, I says, you know, I think I'm going to, and he has a, a membership thing that you sign up for a year and it gives you discounts to all these different suppliers, kind of like buying the Sunday paper for coupons. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I told him, I said, well, or I told my wife, I said, I'm going to reach out. I don't even, I don't think I told my wife. I just called, I emailed him and I said, uh, Hey, I make knives. And I'd like to make you a knife in exchange for your MSB membership, which I knew cost him zero dollars. But, you know, it was a way to kind of reach out to him and ask for something in return for, you know, just giving him a knife. And um, I think if my mama taught me anything, it's never give it away for free. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he called me or I called him. I think he gave me, I got his number then and I called him and uh, I'm like, you know, what would you give me for a knife? And he's like, it's kind of funny. Cause I think it was like, he's like, I'll give you two years of MSB, which was like a hundred dollar value. At the time I was selling my knives for about $250. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what would you give me if I made you a mammoth test knife? And he's like, Oh, he's like, I'd, he's like, he got excited. Then he was like, I'd give you three years of MSB, <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, something. The mammoth test was like 400 bucks. Yeah. And, uh, so what I'm like, hearing oh. is you're great at math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he drives a hard bargain. No. So then he is, he ended up saying, you know, no, he's like, I, well, I so that's when I said, well, I'd have to talk to my wife, you know, if I'm going to give away a, you know, $800 knife for, you know, 
<laughs> no, he said, uh, and he was going to do a video and a review of it, you know, so, and, and then he says, when I said, I've talked to my wife and I, I probably would have still bought the material and did it for him because I want it. I really wanted him to have one of my knives and I liked his show and I wanted to support what he was doing. <clears throat> but he come back and he's like, Hey, I'll buy the material. I'll do a video. I'll give you the free MSB. You know, you make the knife. And so he did, he bought, he paid for the material for the mammoth test and, uh, gave me an opportunity to make a knife with some really expensive material that I shouldn't have been working with yet. And <laughs> so I look back at it. Was the pucker, was the pucker factor pretty high on that when you were drilling it and stuff like that? Yeah. So I had Bill Davis help me with that um, because I wasn't about to start drilling, you know, $400 handle materials. I went over to his shop. That's kind of, that's kind of how I started that relationship. Uh, you know, as I reached out to him and said, Hey, I got this knife. I'd like your help on. And, um, Hey, I'm about to do something really stupid. Do you want to help me? Yeah. Uh, I look back and I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. It wasn't, I get now, you know, why beginners shouldn't be working with expensive material. You know, back then I was just like, you know, I don't know. Good decisions do not make good stories. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so better story, that knife. So Jack, uh, you know, he wore and used that knife and he was, mowing his yard he was mowing his yard or something and lost it oh no he was he was doing some compost or he was doing something he lost that knife and so he found it i think like a year year and a half later with his mower <clears throat> so i get this email durability check yeah i get this email he's like hey um i doubt you can fix this but um i found the knife and I said, send me pictures. And this, the one scale had like bananaed off. Like it was still attached, but it was, it was banana shaped. And like the, the edge of the blade caught right between the, the scale and the, no, the, long the, the, it is. the blade actually hit the steel somewhere. So the blade okay. didn't actually hit the mate, the material, but the material, I think from soaking up moisture, being out in the elements, even though it was stabilized, it, you know, mm. it banana, but potato yeah, chip it's a natural flake. material. Yeah. So he sends it back to me and I carefully took some like carpet razor blades and slid it between the, the scale that was still attached and the knife. And I just kept on wedging them in there until I pressed the scales off of the knife. And then... I stuck the scales underneath some pressure for a couple of days till they flattened back out. And I was able to reattach that not the handle on that knife and uh, put it all back together and clean it up. So he still has that knife and it survived a year and a half out in the elements and a mower. So that's awesome. Yeah, that is very, um, little, little nugget of information for the listeners from your old uncle Dan. A lot of those stabilized materials will get um, elastic under heat. 
Um, I have saved a lot of things. Got to go slow with the heat gun, little heat, little pressure, little heat. But a lot of times uh, the heat will even what would normally be considered a rigid material. If it's been a plasticized or stabilized, heating it up slowly, will it'll get soft. And with a little pressure, you can get it back into shape. And then just keep the pressure on it. When it cools, it'll it'll go back to shape. Have you uh, have you done anything with antler, um, and and bent bent it or or shaped it? Like I know some people use some sort of like alcohol or something and soak it and put it under pressure and flatten it out. Yeah, so I've um when it comes to bone, horn, and antler, um, I have a, a, a pretty standard approach. It smells like absolute shite. My shop smells like shite for like three days. So I will charge you so much to do one of those three materials on my knife that you'll choose something else. <laughs> there are probably three knives and all of existence over the last 15 years that have either antler, bone, or horn that I've done. I hate working with it. Fair. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't like working with it either, but I do got to say when he, uh, he chose some presentation grade mammoth tusk, it was kind of a blue color. And when I first seen it, I was like, I don't like it whatever but by the time i was done working with it i really liked the way it looked and made me want some mammoth tusk it is absolutely beautiful i 100 percent agree um and there is some stunning stuff you can do with with bone and antler as well i'm just not your guy but it, it, it is not because there's something wrong with the material it's because there's something wrong with me and i have a sense of smell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that time you got COVID. You know, it, that's the messed up thing. Like, I think I've had COVID three or four times and I keep my sense of smell. Like day four, I'm like, oh my God, what is that smell? Oh, it's me. I haven't showered in four days because I've been lying in these sheet, this bed. Like, I, I yeah. please, please take my sense of smell away. That was my only symptom when I had COVID. And, uh, when I was down in this little room that I record, I was doing or in a bunch of meetings with Navistar and Courtney came in and goes, it really smells like farts down here. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, you mean my natural Oda essence? <laughs> uh, did you start teaching some of the workshops and stuff that he was doing there? Or how did the, after you made him the knife, what, uh, how did that go? So, yeah, I, I made him that knife and, um, you know, he talks a lot. He had, at the time he had a podcast called the road to 100 K and it was his business podcast. So, um, kind of back the story up a little bit. Um, Murray had mentioned that he took some sort of a business class and paid quite a bit of money for it. And Jack had uh, some a podcast that he talked about business type stuff. It's called The Road to 100K. Um, I don't even know if that podcast, if you can still find downloads of it or not, but 
he basically gave away a business course and how to run a business and gave out some really good information. And when I listened to that, I could see, you know, kind of some principles that Murray had followed and, you know, how he had done and built his business. <clears throat> so I, you know, I talked to Jack and I was like, Hey, you know, I really want to go from, I want, I really want to make this my full-time income. And I'm like, at the time I had enough orders part-time that I was busy for six months out, you know, but you take and you go from part-time maker to full-time maker and that six months of work, maybe a month of work, you know? So and all I'm of a like, sudden you start questioning all of your life's decisions. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Kickstarter was kind of a thing, but it was anyways. So I said, you know, how do, how are we going to, so we, we kind of went back and forth and he helped me to develop this stakeholder program and help sell it. And his, uh, his part was he would help sell this and for his position as a stakeholder, he was zero, zero, one. So I have a hundred stakeholders who they have different privileges. And basically the way it works is anytime I produce a limited edition knife, they get their position. They get first opportunity to buy their position. They don't have to buy it. I'll say, hey, this is the knife I'm going to make. This is what it's going to cost. This is what I'm going to sell it for. Do you want your knife? And I'll even, you know, ask them, you know, what do you want to see? You know, what kind of handle material, you know? So they have input in what I make and what I do. And they have first right of refusal. So, and then if they don't want to buy it, I'll send them, I'll send them a portion of the sale. So I have the stakeholder costs and the full retail cool. cost and cause I can sell them, you know, they're people and it gets to a point where people want your knife, one of your knives, but you know, if you're not a stakeholder, then the chances of you getting a knife is pretty slim. So, and that's, so that's what we did. We put together the program, he sold it and Boy, that's when I started learning a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> no. Um, so we set the date to launch. And I actually put in my notice at work before the launch of this kick, this stakeholder program. We had people sign up. And then I said, I'll send out, I'll, I'll send out, what was it? I was, we were going to have, we had it for sale on my website. And the morning, whenever it went live, my website crashed. I had so much traffic that the website just crashed. Damn. And then I was like, well, you know, what are we going to do? We didn't have a plan B, right? And we ended up deciding, okay, well, we're just going to send out to the mailing list a link. So I sent out an email with the link for people to sign up. And the money just started rolling in like my phone, you know, <laughs> the notifications on my phone for PayPal was like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and, uh, it sold nice. out in under six minutes. Are you sure? Are you sure you're a knife maker? Yeah. <laughs> Cause this money rolling in thing does not sound like a knife maker. Well, you know, 
just wait. I'll get to that part. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so as long as there's some part about you losing your ass in this deal, I'm like, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know. So He's make the knives now. So I sold the positions. There was five hundred and fifty dollars for a position. So I raised fifty five thousand in under six minutes, and then came the part of actually making the knives. You know, so I had made a prototype. I'd made a prototype and uh, so then, you know, <clears throat> anyways, it ended up taking way longer than I had anticipated. I figured I'd be done with these knives and like, really, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, you know, because <clears throat> I'm a perfectionist, so it's never good enough. And so it wasn't long before the money was gone. I still had a lot of knives to get done and it was miserable. And that pretty well, <clears throat> I still pre-sold some stuff for a while out of necessity, but now I'm to the point where the classic dropping Peter to pay Paul situation. Yep. And it was, it was that for a few years, you know? Um, in fact, my sharpening video that I produced a few years later that I did through Kickstarter was to kind of help offset losing my <laughs> losing, losing money on the knives, you know, it was like, <laughs> ah, there's the knife maker's tail I was yeah. looking for. Yep. And, uh, so yeah, it, it, the first year, first couple of years was super stressful and I'll never forget I was working hard. I was working long nights. And one morning I came in probably three in the morning and I had this, um, up this nasty email from one of my stakeholders, supposedly anonymously sent email, anonymous stakeholder oh, saying, um, you know, you're just living it up. You know, you took our money and you're just out having fun and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they were nice enough to like carbon copy Jack in the email. And I was just sick to my stomach. And I, uh, I replied, look, you know, I don't know what to do. I could give you a refund, which I didn't have the money to refund anyways. And I'm like, there's no advantage in me not finishing these knives. The sooner I get them done, the, so the more money I make, you know. Here's a secret. I want to finish them more than you want to have them. Exactly. And so I tried to go to bed, didn't sleep real good. I woke up the next morning and uh, Jack had read the email. And you got to know Jack to really appreciate his response. But uh, his response was, dear disgruntled ass clown. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, First of so all, he's a subtle guy. Yeah, he's pretty subtle. He's like, first, you know, first of all, like if you said, you know, what you said to Patrick to my face, like, you know, we'd have, you know, I don't remember what he exactly said, but basically threatened to beat the guy up. He said, I'll buy your position for 10% more than you paid for it. But first of all, you'd have, he said, if you're, if you're even really a stakeholder, I'll buy your position but you're going to have to prove who you are and you're going to have to man up and say who you are, you know, for me to buy it and you know, whatever. 
So I never heard from that customer again. <clears throat> Whether or not it was actually one of my stakeholders or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, thankfully I got past those days and I don't take money. I don't take deposits. If you know, you're buying sudden, then I'm going to have it done before I collect. And if you don't buy it, I don't have no problem selling it. So I don't care. And I no longer do custom orders because everybody wants something stupid and impractical. And, you know, I'm going to build what I want to build and they sell. So that's kind of what I do on the labor time. The labor time is easy to bill for, but how do you bill for the time of tracking down ones and twos of these random materials that people want? Like you wind up buying a whole stick of steel to make one knife and then it sits in the corner and then trying to find enough handle material for just one knife. Did you see that? Did you see that? That $800 sheet of steel that I have with one knife cut out of it because I needed that thickness of steel for this one stupid order. Yeah. Well, I didn't see that, but every <laughs> knife maker's got that sitting in their corner. Hell, I've got a $700 piece of SM100 in my, uh, at the back of my shop. I got some of that. Yeah. It's awesome until you try to grind it. <laughs> yeah. I, I got that for this tactical knife I was going to make. So this guy had me design a big, big tactical guy. I was going to have me design a knife for him. I made a few prototypes. I started charging them for prototypes. And uh, anyways, that's all the further that went. So like yeah, I start charging it, for prototypes now too. Yeah. If, if I got to make a knife, you got to pay for it. Yep. Although part of my deal is like, if you want to pick, right, so on the off chance that you've bought me a beer or we've had dinner any of the other requirements because I just don't do customs anymore. But if you did and you want to pick one of my patterns and just pick grind steel, that's awesome. But if you wanted like from a ground up your design, I straight up tell people $2,000 minimum, go ahead and budget that. Because the next thing you know, you've made four knives that are all quote unquote prototypes that you're not getting paid for. Exactly. Well, and you end up, what I ended up with one time is somebody wanted something, I made it for them, they had it, they loved it, and then months later, I was like, you know, how's the knife? And then they were like, uh, it's not really practical for, you know, a lot of what I use a knife for. And I was like, yeah, it was a dumb design. You know, if you had asked me that, I would have told you. Right. But this is what you wanted. So that's what I made you, you know. So a lot of it is just, you know, I. Everybody's got an idea of what they want. And when they get what they want, they find out what they need. And as a knife maker, you kind of know what's practical, what's not. And, you know, you kind of have a good idea. I do. (laughs) I do got to say one of one of the coolest designs that I made came from a custom order. So because the guy wanted something really stupid and it, I had to get creative to give him what he wanted and it ended up with me coming up with an idea that I would have never came up with anyways. So that's not what I wanted. Well, it's what you ask for. 
well, you should have known that's not what I wanted. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's going to listen to this podcast. No. So it was. A- <laughs> Look, other than my wife and Kyle's cousin, nobody listens to this thing, man. You can say whatever you want. So it was a doctor, right? He wanted a less than lethal option to carry. And he and he he read Louis L'Amour books, and he mm-hmm. knew that any knife maker who's a phenomenal writer, right? He knew that any knife maker worth or any knife fighter worth their weight and salt would care would would fight with the the blade up. I don't know. I haven't read those books. <clears throat> so, anyways, he wanted. You no, know, there's there's a philosophy that. I'm aware of that. I don't necessarily agree with, but there's a whole thing behind it. Yeah. So he wanted the knife with the blade up, but the handle normal. And then wanted my name on it. <laughs> so I was like trying to think of, okay, how can we do this? And I'm like, how about we just do like a round handle, you know, like a K bar. Like that's like a all universal. Handle. Right. Universal. No, he didn't want that. Maybe it's, he wanted, maybe it's down. He wanted, he wanted, so I ended up doing this coffin handle blade and the blade was kind of up sweat, up swept and it, it was comfortable to carry it, to hold it either way. And so anyways, I gave him what he wanted and it, and it came up, I came up with a design that kind of fit the parameters of what he was looking for. And something that I was still more than happy to put my name on. And I could show people, hey, I made this cool knife, you know. So it's kind of fun to create something that, you know, you have certain parameters to make. And it kind of, it pushes your design capabilities to kind of, to restrict it and say, hey, you need to fall into this, you know, beat these criteria. So sometimes that's good. It mixes things up, gives you a little challenge. Yeah. Side note for for Kyle's listener, or Kyle's cousin, because my 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 wife already knows. I I know some guys that are pretty legit with a blade, and none of them consider a blade a non lethal or less lethal tool. Yeah. They they go in it with I'm going to stick you and you're going to die. Well, and he, I mean, there is some point to. Some people are much more terrified of a knife than they are a gun. And so some people that you'd present a gun to, they're not going to run. Other people you present a knife to, they're going to take off, you know? Yeah. I'm not a fan of knives being like, it's not that I'm not a fan of knives being used for weapons, but I don't consider myself as making weapons. Oops. Sorry. I don't consider myself (laughs) as making like a weapons manufacturer. Um, I, I like, it's a tool and I get irritated that we get thrown into this category of weapons and we get filtered and all this kind of stuff. But it, would I suggest somebody use, you know, one of my knives as a weapon? No, because a lot of them aren't designed for that. Um, would, is it better than nothing? Heck yeah. You know, so hell of bricks. Right. Yeah. Anything. A jar can be a weapon. Uh, twisted and I'm uh, twisted tea can can be a weapon. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm kind of a I, I go with kind of the prison yard theory. Like 
knife, gun, whatever it is, man, I'm not showing it to you. That just gives you, like, you're not going to know that I have a weapon until something really terrible is happening. Yep. Like, if it's a firearm, you're not going to know I have a gun until there's a bright flash of light. You know, you're not going to have a knife until you're trying to figure out why you feel cold and tingly all over. Yeah. All right. Now that we've sufficiently got way off topic. um, What we do. (laughs) So. uh, Let's talk about the videos. Yeah. Um, Or I wanted to ask. So with what you know about your stakeholder program, would you would you do it again? Or would you have done it a different way? Tell me more about this money-making opportunity. So I would definitely, um, you know, it's kind of, I hate when people say, well, would you do it again? I mean, obviously I did it the first time, so I'd probably do it again. However, I wish I would have just, I mean, I made good money as a lineman. I had good benefits and I should have just, you know, raised my own capital to get started and kept going um, and not tried to, you know, springboard into something. No, no matter what, you're not going to get around the work that it takes to get somewhere, you know, like all these Kickstarter type things. If you have a good idea, if you're making a good product, if you just keep working hard, you're going to get to where you need to be. And, trying to take a, I don't know. I, I always recommend people just keep working hard, keep doing their thing until they get to a point where they can comfortably walk away from their day job, having money set aside. Slower, but better. Sorry. Yeah. Slower, but better. I was saying go. Yeah. Go with a a slower technique, but, you you would say that that's a better approach rather than, I mean, sure, like the the springboard, the the, the Kickstarter, it, it gets you up there in a hurry. Like you you jump into it, but you can also find yourself in the deep end before you're ready. Right, and I really could have ruined my name. Uh, I could have ruined. You know, I feel like thankfully I I fulfilled all my obligations to my stakeholders. Um, three stakeholders have sold their positions. Every position I think has brought two thousand dollars or more for their position, so wow. I've created a ROI for my stakeholders. I fulfilled my commitments to them, uh, but it could have it could have very easily gone the other way, you know. So, well, and kind of back to your earlier comment about the freedom of don't take deposits. Um payment in full when it's ready to ship and make stuff that you know that if they don't buy it, somebody else will. Um, That just comes with a lot less strings. Yeah. It'll save you. Well, I mean, look, I used to have a full head of hair. (laughs) And and Kyle was skinny and I used to be pretty, man. Knife making is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) I think the last time I was somewhat skinny, I was like in sixth grade. So... Yeah. Says the kid that talks about stories of when I was at the Olympic training center. I wasn't skinny then. <laughs> I was oh, heavy, I was I was heavyweight. 
That's why y'all wrestle those unlimited weight classes. Well, it was limited to 275, but I was like 245, 250. So it was pretty easy for me to stay under that. That's pretty impressive for being, what, 5'2", five, 5'3"? Five, yeah. Keep talking. Well, we'll see. What, <laughs> I'll give you a go. Hey, I'm feeling pretty bold now that I've lost 40 pounds. <laughs> Just 40, 40 less pounds for me to pick up and throw. <laughs> hey, look, now that I've come to realize I'm old enough to be your father, you need to show me some more respect. <laughs> uh, how old are you, Dan? I am 40. Three to two, 48. 48. I'm 44. Wait, you're like right in the middle between us. I, I turn 38 next month. Sweet. I'm sorry. I just heard Kyle say he's 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, so, um, so you mentioned you did the, the ebook and the, the sharpening video, uh, for no, the sharpening class. The, I, I didn't or, mention the I thought you mentioned. Oh, you didn't, but, but Kyle set you up so you can now. Mention. Yeah. So you, when did you, or you did the ebook short, shortly after the sharpening video, right? Or it was a few years after. Yeah. So was my sharpening true? video, that was <laughs> another kick. That was a Kickstarter, Dan. So, uh, yeah, I had, that was, uh, so it went swimmingly. Yeah. Well, I had a photographer and he was going to do the video. And so he did the video and he did it all in front of a green screen. And then he was like, he did this video. And I was like, uh, that looks horrible. He's like, well, what kind of background do you want? And I'm like, uh, it, it. so I ended up then like paying. Did you do dancing girls? I think dancing girls would really push the sales. <laughs> I, I ended up hiring a videographer that wasn't in the budget to produce the video. Then I realized too, like how difficult it is to do video well. Uh, it's about like doing a podcast. Anybody can do it. Fucking yeah, if these morons can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyways, the video kind of, yeah, it had its. I've tried to do a couple of videos, which have just been enough to teach me what a really surprisingly complicated process. Man, it. Yeah. Well, we did it outside. And so you got to be concerned with the lighting. You can't just like edit a mm -hmm. shot from eight o'clock till noon, you know, like you can't jump from. So it was the, the video was good. Hey, I'm going to do a video. I'm going to do a video and I'm going to do it with as few controllable variables <laughs> as possible. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> but it looked great. <laughs> so uh, we got the video produced and, uh, but then, you know, as you, you progress, there were some things that I wanted to do better. And so a few years later, I, I produced the ebook and mm -hmm. the ebook was easier to get some really good shots. You know, mm. equipment is so much more affordable now. Like we got digital microscopes oh. and things that we can do. So I wanted better images and better. So I, I went and re kind of redid the video without redoing the video in an ebook form. And, uh, and we'll have, we'll have, well, we, I mean, Kyle, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. So, okay. 
everybody that wants to find this, just go to the show notes and, and you'll be able to find it. And then, Kyle, should I jump into the most recent sharpening? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as much as we love hearing about your screw ups, let's talk about some success. Yeah. So last year I was contacted by, um, I was contacted by a school of traditional skills. It's a, um, educational subscription service and they wanted to do a sharpening video and they wanted to pay me to come out to my place for three days. And that's the magic phrase. Yeah. And, and film three days and then do, I, I had to do, I'm doing two live events, one of which is already done and one's coming up next month. So it was wild. I, I was like, yeah, let's do this. They uh, told me how much. And I was like, "Hmm, that'll work. And, um, that's my number. Yeah. You now own me. I'm good with that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because I'm not necessarily, I fly by the seat of my pants and not necessarily the studious college type person with all the notes and all this kind of stuff. But I get this form, this like booklet to fill out and start anyways. So, uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I, I got to learn a lot through the process. And it was amazing. They they flew in people from California, Minnesota, and I or Idaho. No. And I had five or six guys here at my shop for three days, and it was three long days of filming. And they had teleprompters and lights and cameras everywhere, and it it was it was cool. It was neat. But uh, we produced a, a sharpening course. I don't even know how much footage they had. I think they, I, I don't remember how many pictures the guy, I think he said it took like, I'm going to lie, but I think it was like 30,000 pictures that they condensed down to, you know, so many. And, mm-hmm. and uh, when it was all said and done, I, I think they have about two hours worth of content in, on sharpening and really great quality. The teleprompters, man, teleprompters are cool. They set up in front of the camera. So you're not, you know, it looks like you're looking at, yeah, I mean, if you can read, they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who that's, couldn't that's read? Like, that's how they get all those politicians to look as good as they can. I mean, some of the world's greatest knife makers, but other than that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a first grader could read from a <laughs> teleprompter. I know some people struggle with it. I won't say who. All righty. So yeah, so um, with your sharpening course, you talked about or you talk about different stones and different things. They got the thing pulled up. Uh, so you have a, like a bunch of different modules that it looks like you can kind of go through. Yep. So. Yeah they they broke it down. <laughs> that was difficult too. Like because uh, they have they have a format that they want it to fall into. And I have a way that mm-hmm. I would do things. It's not a way that it's not the same way. And it's kind of like, look, just tell me how you want it done. You know, like I could talk about sharpening. To me, it's hard to like compartmentalize the different aspects of sharpening because I just kind of see it all as, you know, one thing. And I would break things down a little bit differently 
but they had a format that they wanted to follow. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's neat. It's kind of, it's kind of like doing a custom order because you're trying to produce a video the way that they want it done. And it's not necessarily the way that you would do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's got uh, your supplies, uh, who you are selecting a not the right knife and the sharpening stones and stuff. All, all really good stuff. Are are you, are you signed up for that, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah. I signed up awesome. for the, the thing. So. Cool. Uh, yeah. Got, got the, the 15 lessons with the, the bonus frequently asked questions. I know Dan has a bunch of questions here about sharpening in general. You want to start asking some of those, Dan? Uh, when it comes to sharpening, what what are some of the things that people tend to get wrong? Well, I would say the first thing they get wrong is they start with a knife that hasn't been sharpened in 15 years. And they think that they're going to hop on that knife and conquer it. It'd be like trying to mow your grass after not mowing it all summer long and expecting to get it done in 30 minutes. Um, what is, what are some things that, uh, that people tend to get right? though? Well, most people struggle with sharpening, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they think it's like this magical thing, um, that's impossible. You know, uh, even a blind even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. Is there is there some things that that people intuit, or is it really just? Uh... You know, I think I think some people they get they get it right, like they start off doing a good job. But the three things that I find that most people do wrong is they start off with the wrong grit. They start off with a knife that it needs major work, and then they start changing things because they think that they're doing something wrong. And so when you start off with a knife that needs to, that needs professional work and you start off with the wrong grit, you can be doing everything right and not know it because there is no real evidence that you're making, that you're doing everything right until you get that burr established. And so I think that people start off, they're doing a good job, but then they start, you know, questioning what they're doing or double, you know, second guessing what they're doing and they mess, they, they screw it all up. So that'd be like um, starting too at too high of a grid or to not get the burr established. Well, either they're starting at too high of a grid or they're, they start changing things because they think that they're not doing it right. You know? Um, yeah. So if they just, stick with a coarse grit and just keep on grinding away until they, till they feel that burr or till they see that burr, then they're going to be successful. Uh, do you have a, a strong opinion on uh, freehand versus using some sort of guide system? Do I? Yeah, yeah. I think that you need to, I think you need to learn how to freehand sharpen. Because a machine, well, you said guide. There are some guide systems that I think are fine. But anytime you have a system 
like a guide system or like a machine, it has its limitations. And if you learn the basic principles about sharpening, then you can use those machines effectively. And if you don't, then you're not going to know the basics and you're going to screw up knives or, you know, and, and all those machines have limitations. So, you know, when you're talking about guide systems, um, if you focus too long in one spot, you're going to change the profile of the blade. You know, there's, there's lots of things that you'll learn in the process of hand sharpening that you'll know what to do and what not to do. And, and it's a gradual, it's a lot grad. It's a lot more, it's a lot slower process. So you're not going to screw up knives as bad as using like a motorized machine. Um, do you have an opinion one way or the other on some of the, the systems where, I mean, it's, you're providing the, the motion, but it's, it's the systems that like hold a stone at a certain angle. So you get the consistency, um, but you're providing the motivation. I think those systems are probably the better of the systems out there because fundamentally, you know, they're holding the angle and they're, they're using stones and it's not creating heat on the edge and, you know, all that. But my opinion or my prejudice against them is, is they're slow and inefficient. And if you just learn how to sharpen by hand, you could do the same thing faster. Uh, and you mentioned a preference towards, towards stones. Is there a, a material that you prefer? Diamonds, natural, water, oil? Um, I'm I'm a real fan. I'm a real big fan of the the water stones. I hate oil. It's messy. Diamond stones I used to hate. I kind of love, but I kind of hate. Um, good diamond stones. I love how fast they cut. Uh, I hate how coarse and ragged they are when they're new but um i haven't tried the vitrified diamond stones but i think i'm gonna oh, love them awesome. kyle's got some i've got some um, i mean you can't get them right now they're, they're not on the market i know <laughs> i i've messaged him i've told him i've wanted them i offered to buy his own like i've offered to buy people that own them and they don't want to sell them so i mean that's a good sign yeah, yeah kyle's selfish that way yeah uh so i guess i'll ask this two ways one someone that's that's going to start hand sharpening what sort of materials would you, what sort of stone medium would you start them at? Um, you know, I'd probably start back where I started. And, you know, I think that the thousand grit Japanese stone, you know, King stone, I think it's the, a great bang for the buck. It has good feedback. Um, I feel like all around it's a great, entry level stone that you're not going to be disappointed with years into the sharpening, you know, progress. And now I'm like, think, I think as you, 
you know, progress. I think most people's tend tendency when they start out sharpening is to get into these super fine grits. But really, honestly, I could I could sharpen a knife with a thousand grit. It's a medium grit that's it removes steel fast enough, but it's still coarse enough that you could get a good edge that is usable off of just it and uh, not go on from there. Or you could, you know, take it up higher. These, uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys have seen the one stone challenge where you just sharpen a knife with one <laughs> stone and strop it. I've done that. It works, you know. It's really about it's, skill. It's like sand. It's like sandpaper when I was doing furniture. I mean, I could take a rough piece of wood and make it finished with you know, a thousand grit sandpaper, four hundred grit sandpaper. It's going to take me all freaking day. It'd take a fraction of the time if I started at like eighty grit and smoothed it out and worked through my progressions. If, if you have all the time in the world, then you could start with a polishing stone and eventually you'll get an edge. Yeah. So where do you like to start in your sharpening grit? Um, truly, it depends on the quality of the edge. If it's a really rounded edge, it's worn back, then I might go all the way down to 300 grit, reestablish the edge, and then start polishing. Um, if it's a kitchen knife that's just had a little everyday usage and it's got a little burr, I might start at a thousand. Um, if it's a razor and it really just needs a polish, I might start even higher than that. So when you say 300 grit, are you talking Japanese? Or are we talking, you know, cause a lot of people don't realize there's microns, there's, you know, the American standard sandpaper, whatever grit there's yeah. Japanese, they're, yeah, and they're not equal. Yeah, uh, um, because of my background, I tend to default to the American you know, capital P grit. Okay. Um, the, yeah, I I have the cheat sheet to find microns and that kind of yeah. conversions. Because I start at um, sixty grit. And I mean, and, if I like, if I'm if I'm going from a knife that like needs a lot of work, I'm taking her to sixty grit. That's a 60 grit stone, and, right? Not a 60 grit belt. No, no, I'm talking 60 grit sandpaper yeah. belt. Yeah. And see, I, I mean, I grind my bevels. If I've got to go, if I've got to go back to the grinder, then I'm, then I'm redressing the bevel. I'm not sharpening. I'm, I'm, I'm changing your geometry to, to bring it back to true before I start sharpening. At least my perspective. So are you going to take the the bevel out to zero? You mean like go a zero grind? Uh, generally, I don't. Uh, if I am doing a very fine working tool, um, you know, a wood carver's delicate tool, a razor, a scalpel, I'll take that out to zero. Yeah. Uh, de- depending on the material and how it's going to be used, I'll leave a little mass behind the edge. And then come back with a secondary bevel. Uh, I find that that gives me a good balance between durability and, and keenness. Uh, again, if if it's a really precision fine tool, then I'll take it out to zero. But that gives such a delicate edge that that you've really got to know how the tool is going to be used. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it, you know, like 
I think we've all done this. Anybody that's made knives for any length of time, you know, when I started making knives, I was probably doing most of my grinding with 120 grit, like my rough grinding. And now I'm like 36 grit all the way up, just hogging out metal as fast as I can. And, uh, you know, the, the better you get, the lower grit you go, the, the hot, faster RPMs you go, you really just got to get that metal gone. And, uh, time is money. It is. And the same goes for sharpening. It takes, it takes practice to find, you know, that where, where do you start and where are you comfortable with what's going to be the fastest, most efficient way to get that edge established. And, you know, these people taking edges up, you know, through 20 different stones and, you know, doing all that, that kind of stuff is fun. And I have, I've got natural stones. I've got, you know, 30,000 grit stones and I just call them my showing off stones. You know, they're not for anything else other than sharpening a straight razor or showing off. So. And it, it, in a minute, I do want to come back to that to start talking about when enough is enough that, you know, at what point, because there's kitchen knives that I've had some guys that wanted them to the point and I've done it because they paid for it. But the second time that knife hit the cutting board, the last 30 minutes that they paid me for was a waste. Exactly. Um, but before we, before we get to that point, I'd like to talk a little more about grit in that, like I do a lot of micro bevels and sometimes you've sharpened so much that that bevel, it's starting to get kind of meaty and you've got to, what I refer to as redress the edge. You've got to go back and just regrind the whole edge, reestablish or regrind the, the whole bevel, reestablish the edge and then sharpen from there. Uh, but just as a general, the knife doesn't have to be redressed. It's not a, a heavy, it, it's not a project knife. It's just a general, it's been used for a little while. What's kind of your grit progression? So yeah, that thousand grit, is I've what I've found is the I've tried like I'll think that okay I could just take this to the 6,000 and a lot of times I'm like nope gotta go to the thousand you know so it's really you know trial and error just learning you'll find out real quick you know because once you spent five or 10 minutes and you check the edge and you check the edge and you're not where you need to be, you're like, I should have just started lower, you know? So I think a lot of times we try We think you, it's easy to look at the edge and be like, Oh, this edge ain't that bad. This edge ain't that bad. But anytime I think that, and I try to start at too high of a grit, I'm hating myself. I have found that, Generally, everybody eventually learns that you, you start at a thousand grit, you do you know, 15 passes each side, and you haven't formed a burr. The experienced person then drops down to the 600 or the 400 grit, quits wasting their time. The new guy will keep working at that thousand grit because for some reason in his head, he's like, no, don't, don't go down to the lower grit. It's going to be toothy and coarse, and then you've got to polish it. But the the experienced sharpener knows that 
quit wasting your time. Now I got to look it up because when I'm saying a thousand grit too, um, I'm talking yeah. Japanese, which I believe is okay. equivalent to about 400 grit standard. Yeah, because in that case, we've been thinking two other ways, and I've been polite and not saying, shit, you guys are like a thousand? I'm like, all right, I mean, if that's what you do. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, so whenever I'm talking grit, I'm talking Japanese. Um, okay, uh, Japanese grit, uh, 150 is the equivalent to 100 grit, coarse crystalline or coarse India stone. So a 1,000 grit Japanese stone would be the equivalent of a soft Arkansas, a roughly 500 P grit stone. That's one source. <laughs> so is that better I mean, it's for just you? the one I found. Is that better for you? Is that more of an acceptable answer? I, 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 didn't, I, I didn't have a problem with your answer. You were saying you like to start around 300 grit, right? Well, well, if it's, if it's butter knife dull, if, if I need to reset an edge, I'll go down 300 grit, 600 grit, but that's the USP grit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so that's the same range. We're talking the same thing. I'm kind of at the higher end 500 versus 600 grit. So a Japanese thousand grit is ten micron, which would be just a little below the U.S. eight to eight hundred grit, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a little more than the European um, fifteen hundred which is a little more than a hard white Arkansas, Arkansas stone. This is great, great uh, podcast listening right here. <laughs> it is. Horn. Yep. I would have fallen asleep and just cut my own finger off. There you go. I'm counting on uh, Kyle to edit this. But I really, I did find a, a pretty good grit, grit size comparison chart that I'll send y'all. That's got micron, uh, ANSI, uh, CAMI, US, FEPA, European, JIS, Japanese, and then stone types. Yeah, and I think that that's where, like, I know. And you said you're a, you're a thousand grit uh, Japanese, correct? Yeah. Which would be, I'm sorry, it would be about 11.5 microns. You said between or, 500 and 800 grit American, right? Yeah. One chart. Um, closer to 800 grit American. Yeah. I I find that hard because I've seen charts where I thought it said that the 1,000 grit Japanese is comparable to about 400 grit American. Um, I would say it's probably around that 500 mark. Um, I don't know how accurate those charts are, but yeah, cause I've used sandpaper oh, okay. too. 
I'm trying to think in this sharpening video, Kyle can tell us when he watches the course. I think when I did the course and I used sandpaper in the course, I think I used 120, like 180, and then 240. And then I okay. dropped it. I don't recommend people use sandpaper. Like, it can be done, but not a fan. Back in my... Back in my early days, um, I would use uh, sandpaper, usually wet-dry sandpaper with a glass backing. Yeah. And it's because I couldn't afford really good stones, and it was the least expensive way for me to get consistent grain. Because what some people may or may not know is you got to be careful that a lot of this stuff has a grain range where it's not actually 1,000 grit, it's 1,200 to 800 grit. Um, but I found with like some of the wet, dry sandpaper, that margin would be really tight. Uh, and my, my poor man's solution was going down to the hardware store and getting a 2-inch by 8-inch piece of window glass because I knew that was dead flat and hard. And then I'd mount sandpaper on that, and that's what I did. Not a great solution, but it was a cost-effective one. My first. So, my first I don't know how many knives I sharpened them all from zero edge to sharp using just the thousand and the six thousand grit I wore through some thousand grit stones it took me on average 30 minutes to an hour to sharpen a knife wow that's crazy so I've locked some hours well, arguably, that's how you build the muscle memory, though. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to learn to hand sharpen, mechanically, it's a very simple process. You've just got to put the hours in to build the muscle memory, to hold it at the same angle, same consistent, flat and true every pass. Yep. I mean, there's room to make the argument that you are going to need tens, hundreds, thousands of hours to get to get confident well and i liken it to just you know it's kind of like shooting a free throw um i think even the best sharpeners not every pass they make is is actually the one that's hitting the edge but they have a lot higher hmm. percentage rate at the free throw line so they can accomplish what they're trying to do in a lot less shots um and while you're learning that, the, the Sharpie is your friend. Yeah. I love the feedback of you're blacking out your edge, you make a couple of passes. The shiny part is what the part that's touching the stone. Yep. Well, and um, I can't... But just to... to Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to try to get some consistency on a, a question. If we're going to use Japanese grits, like what are the... What are the however many stones that are your go-to um, and kind of what's your progression? Like, do you, do you go up a few thousand? Do you grow up, like, say, if the thousand grit is kind of your, your starting set in the edge stone, what's, what's the next grit up that you would move to? Got some. Okay. Sorry, I had some lag. Um, I, I do the thousand six thousand um now since i've spent so much money on different stones um 
I really just can't stress enough. It's it's really about the skill and not so much about the stones. And you know, but you can the, just buy uh, the stones. Yeah, <laughs> you can. So I like it. I liken it to you know shooting a a gun. You know, you can spend thousands of dollars and get a gun that's going to shoot a a super tight, you know, MOA, very tight group. And you got those people that they go buy those guns, but they can't shoot. And so they just made their two foot group to, you know, an 11, you know, a, a one foot, 11 and a half inch group. And they spent thousands of dollars to do it. Get to where you can shoot a tight group, get to where you can sharpen effectively. And then you, you get to where you're like, you need one or two stones, you know, like, because most of what you're doing, you don't need uh, 10,000 stones to do. Well, and I know that some of it is the usage and some of it is steel. Like um, 1095 likes a really toothy edge. 1095, my experience, it's 600 U.S. grit. Outperforms 1095 at 1,000 U.S. grit. There is something about the carbides, the structure of the steel. It cuts better when it's a little toothy. Yeah. Um, if you're doing rough butchering, you want a really toothy, aggressive edge. If you're cutting really fibrous stuff, if you're cutting leather, you want a more polished edge. So there's there's some know the steel, know the use in there. Yeah. Well, um, and that's really it. I mean, none of this stuff, all this stuff just has to be learned, either experienced or taught. And, you know, like, but experience outweighs like different people like different things, but there is a, there is a, there is an edge and there is an absolute best practice that you're going to find over time. And I'm not a master sharpener, you know, like there are guys that know more than me. And I, you know, like I, I follow, you know, that triple B and I follow, you know, the knife steel nerd and, like I'm, I'm reading all this stuff and learning from, you know, these other people. And I feel like one thing when I started making knives is I pride it. I, I took pride in the fact that my knife was going to be sharp. And when I started making knives, you would not believe the amount of makers who are making knives that couldn't sharpen a knife to save their life. And they're still, a lot of makers who don't know how to sharpen a knife. And I feel like that is one of the key components. Like when somebody gets a knife for the first time, one, the one thing that they're going to remember is how sharp that knife was. And so I think I've, I kind of feel like I've stood out in the, in the knife world because I've taken great pride in how sharp my knives come. You know, I sent a knife to cutlery, cutlery lover back in the day and he was just blown away how sharp it was. And back before everybody started getting the best tester, you know, he got one and he tested it and, you know, it was one of the sharpest knives that he had, he had got. And, you know, now like I see people doing stuff with that best tester that it's like, they're lying. They, they're cheating the system somehow. And I know that they're getting better results than I, than I am. Uh, and so I've now got like a new milestone to try to achieve 
However, I also know that the sharpness of the knife doesn't define how well it works either. Um, are you familiar with Virtue Vice on YouTube? Japanese doctor? I'm not. Um, man, that guy is amazing. And I got one of his knives that he sharpened. And it did not feel as sharp as, as what I could get. But it outperformed. And it it all goes down to the blade geometry and, and what he was doing. And I think I've kind of figured it out. But I would love to go fly over to Japan and, and learn from him. But I also know that, too, like, you can you can jump forward in your learning um, by leaps and bounds, studying under people that really know what they're doing. But it also doesn't replace experience. And you need to have, you know, there's that balance of, you know, good teaching and experience that has to be gained. Um, do you have an opinion on uh, stropping? I, my opinions really don't matter, do they? Uh, well, I mean, you're the you're the host of, or the the guest of the show. Yeah. So, well, you know what they say about I mean, opinions. if you don't give an opinion, we. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> so my opinion on stropping has always been that, like, you know, so learning from. Would it be easier if I say, "Do you have an opinion on stropping versus using really fine honing stones?" Yeah. Um. So learning a lot from Murray Carter, you know, he didn't, he used newspaper a lot to, to strop, um, which when you could get newspaper, I really like using new newspaper. I really liked his method. Um, newspaper is not as available nowadays. Um, I've gone to using a strop with some diamond paste, but I think it's really easy to overstrop. I think a lot of people overstrop stuff and I kind of like the toothier edge. So I might be more prone to just taking the knife off the stone and using it that way versus, uh, you know, stropping it and taking away a lot of the toothiness of the edge. But I'm, you know, I'm a lot of times I'm, skinning animals or processing meat or something like that, where I like the toothier edge. I'm not shaving too often. Yeah, more aggressive cutting. At least not your beard. Yeah. Uh, so do you think that that guy that you were talking about, that his knife was so sharp, uh, do you think that that was because he uh, polished the edge a little bit more so it didn't feel quite as uh, like there was not so much to bike bite in there or I think, I think that he was doing kind of a flat grind on one side and kind of a convex side on the other. So I think it was more kind of like a chisel and it just, when okay. I would like cut, when I would try to like cut into sticks and stuff, it would just penetrate way farther. You know, you didn't get the binding, um, you know, wedging and binding of a blade stops the cutting action, um, you know, when you're cutting dense material. So it doesn't matter how sharp it is if, if the blade's bound up in the cut, right? Yeah. So 
So he was, it wasn't so much that he was polishing as he was just changing the geometry. Yeah, I think, and, and I, I'm not sure what his grit progression was. He's got a lot of different videos of, you know, how he sharpens his knives. And I've watched just about them all. He does a lot of bushcrafting type stuff. And, you know, that's how I was kind of testing the blades was, you know, whittling on sticks and cutting sticks and stuff like that. And, you know, that's, that's the whole rabbit hole of sharpening, right? You know, you get into the different blade geometries and the different, you know, grits and polishing of the blade and, you know, like get into the samurai swords and the whole polishing process of all that. And, you know, there's, yeah, there's an ocean of information out there and I've only got a small bit of it. One of the really informative moments I had on kind of comparison on polishing had a friend over, I was teaching them some, some basic leather work and I had stepped away for a minute and I came back and they said, your knife is duller than mine, but it's cutting better. And that didn't make sense to me. I said, what are you talking about? And he picked his knife up and it, it had a razor's edge. The hair was popping off, but he picked up my knife and it wouldn't shave. But when we went to cut hides, my knife was cutting better. And it was that my edge was really highly polished. So I was getting very little drag. So even though the edge wasn't as keen as his, um, I was getting a smoother cut, which would have been true for leather, but would not have been true for cordage or um, anywhere where you needed an aggressive cut. So I got a little bit of a lesson on it's not just how keen the edge is. It's how it's polished. And sometimes that's better and sometimes it's not. Yeah, I'm wondering, so like on that best tester, I've seen some people get 40s and like even lower than 40s on it. So when I sharpen my, yeah, single digits. And I have a feeling that they're just like super polishing that edge. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't got, I think the lowest number I've got like maybe is 120 on that thing. But I've got one and been playing with it and just seeing, you know, seeing what, what, how things perform and trying different things. I've still got a lot to learn about sharpening. So is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? I don't know. (laughs) It's your show. That's good. No, it's, I I think. (laughs) No, it's a, it, it, I, Truth, full disclosure, it is a question I stole. Um, play that's been on the show a couple of times that was talking to Ken Onion. And Ken had made the comment that interviewers never ask the most important question. And it's, what question should I have asked? Yeah. Um, and sometimes they've asked it, and sometimes they've just never given the, the person they're interviewing the opportunity to say the thing that, the industry has always needed someone to say so, but my new, uh, my new thing is to, to try and remember to give people the opportunity to uh, say, well, like I said, if there was a question that I should have asked you and I haven't, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to have the floor. Well, honestly, I'm honored to be on the show 
and I'm thankful that you guys took the time. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, I definitely, I can tell you what I know, but I also know that I have a lot to learn yet. And I love that, you know, you guys are putting together this podcast to help other knife makers learn. And I've found it valuable. And I hope that, you know, the information that I've shared is valuable to people as well. So, yeah, I'm just happy to be here and happy to be able to share. Thank you. We, uh, if along the road of Kyle and I learning some stuff, everybody else picks something up too, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Very cool. Well, with that, we, you can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and now uh, you can listen to us everywhere. And you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, <clears throat> Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram, uh, and me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives.com, and Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Patrick, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me at mtknives.net, and uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not on TikTok. All the things. That's for the young, <laughs> the young kids. I, I signed up, I posted a few things and then I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, mainly, uh, watch some videos and stuff. There's, there's quite a, there's actually quite a bit of like educational stuff on there. Surprisingly of things that, uh, but usually it's always me and my friends sending dumb videos that we find. Uh, people hurting themselves or whatever so uh do that on instagram too but thanks patrick i must be getting yeah <laughs> i must be getting old i'm not i'm not keeping up with the current trends anymore yeah yeah I, well now that i'm not working with uh engineers that are like 22 to 24 i don't i don't feel nearly as old <laughs> they one of the hey. If it makes you feel better, you you just make the rest of us yeah. feel old. One of the one of the engineers we were working with, his last name was Hanson, and uh, we so we nicknamed him Mbop. And uh, the younger <laughs> engineers that we worked with, they're like, "What are you even talking about?" And I'm like, "The the music group Hanson, like Mbop, the song, like no, never heard of it. <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, wow. <laughs> so anyway. And just like that, you're the yep. old guy. Yeah, I was like 20 or 36 at the time. So anyway, uh, thank you guys and hope you guys enjoyed the show and say goodnight, Dan. Good night, Dan. Well, let's take it to the edge because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about I don't like that it gives me this three second countdown anymore. Like when I hit start recording, it should just start recording. Hey, look, dude, everybody needs a countdown.
Yeah, that's I. I give you the countdown, not it giving me the countdown. Did I tell you? Oh, hey, actually, one real uh, legitimate housekeeping thing. Um, how do you pronounce your last name, Patrick? <laughs> how would you pronounce it? Brutally dyslexic kid says not at all. Roarman. <laughs> that's right, Roarman. Roarman. Did, have you ever heard the no. Bob Roarman? Not Horman. No, no, nope, nope, too late. Roarman. It's, <laughs> nope, it's 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 applied now. It's stuck. It it, it won't come out. Have you ever seen those Bob Roarman auto sales commercials? Never. Turns out they're not international. Oh man, don't know. There's a guy that has a lot of money up here. Well, I'm not sure if he's still alive anymore, but uh, he uh, he purchased the the field at Purdue to get his name on there. So it's Ross Aide Stadium at Bo- or Bob Roman Field at Ross Aide Stadium. Hmm. I should see if we're related. Maybe. He he owns like a ton of car dealerships. Like everything, oh, a ton of them in Chicago and a ton of them in Lafayette, Indiana. Ah, Lafayette. Nice. Capital of... Ah, lost it. I need some more juice. <laughs> <laughs> Purdue's actually in West Lafayette. Epicenter of culture. That's what Lafayette is. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of a big ag field. All right, you ready? Nope, but that hasn't stopped us before. All right. Three, two, one, go. Oh, no, no, no. no. You can't just rattle it <laughs> off, dude. Come on, have some class here. We're professionals. Go. 